0: Welcome back to another edition of the Unofficial Guide at Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. It is I, Testa, and we're back with Jim. And because each and every one of you have been such good boys and girls throughout the year, we have a bonus holiday episode of the Unofficial Guide at Disney Dish. Jim and I are going to talk about the history of Christmas at the Animal Kingdom Park at Disney's Hollywood Studios and also the history of New Year's Eve in Walt Disney World. And to do that, I welcome back Jim Hill to the show. Jim, Merry Christmas!
1: Merry Christmas to you as well, Len. How's it going, so? Not bad, not bad. Did, what Len's trying to say is, on the last two shows, we actually forgot about these two theme parks it's,
0: and, it's, and New Year's Eve. But whatever, I, well, you
1: know, just it, it's a busy time of year. Things, you know, it's exactly. a, it, we're checking things off the list, and like, oh, 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 oh park, there's too. that. Oh, they yeah. have
0: those parks. Ha, huh, interesting, yeah. interesting.
1: But you know, I mean, uh, just to jump into it, that that. Um, you know, the, the nice thing about MGM uh, was it was Michael Eisner's baby. So, uh, you know, it, as a direct result of which, you know, where the other theme parks sort of had to grow their holiday decoration programs, you know, gradually, it, was, it wasn't a, you know, a, a budget line item right out the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, because Eisner was so hands-on with MGM from the first year, they had some pretty spectacular holiday decorations. Really? And, well, yeah, and and the nice thing is because MGM was supposed to be the Hollywood that never was but always will be. Mm-hmm. It had holiday decorations that echoed the golden age of Hollywood. So it's late 1930s, early 1940s, so you had, you know, these lots of oversized holiday ornaments, and um they actually used to bring in a crane and drop an oversized Christmas hat on top of the Earful Tower and... Um, but but for a lot of people, what was really cool about this park is that right in front of the Chinese Theater, they put up an enormous Christmas tree, but under the tree, they had this very cool Hollywood-themed Christmas train layout. Uh, did you ever, really? Did you, did you ever get the chance to see that? No,
0: no, no, no. We were too poor to go during uh, Christmas when I was growing up, Jim.
1: Okay. Well, did, I, I believe this is on, on YouTube. You can chase this down. But what was cool about it is... That, you know, the train actually, you know, starts out by rolling past, you know, a copy of L.A.'s Union Station. It it would then roll by a Hollywood Hills, which actually had a tiny little Hollywood sign on it and the Hollywood (laughs) Bowl. And but the best part is they then roll by. Um, You know, Disney Studios from the 40s. So, you know, you had the animation building and you, you had the water tower and then, but <laughs> where it got really, really surreal is the, its final, you know, thing it drove by before be- completing the loop was a miniature version of the Chinese Theater that had been positioned right in front of the Chinese Theater. <laughs> and in
0: front of the little Chinese Theater, there's a small train running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I
1: mean, now that would have been cool. Somebody should have thought of that, right? But yeah, that, that's, why, yes, it's a Mobius strip. Thank you for asking. So, exactly. um, wow. but so say,
0: how, big, how big was this train? I mean, how big was the tree?
1: Uh, the tree was, I want to say, 40 to 50 feet tall. And the train was uh, bigger than HO scale, so, you know, the because the buildings were, uh, you know, two feet, you know, they're about, you know, like the the Hollywood Hills was maybe five or six feet tall. Um, it was, again, it was just a sweet little touch that, again, just sort of locked the park into that 30s and 40s era, and, um, but again, it, Disney being Disney, that was that was never enough, and they were you know so two and three years after the park opened, mm-hmm. they were still you know you know uh, the Magic Kingdom had you know its Mickey Very Merry Christmas Parade, and Epcot was just getting its Holidays Around the World thing up out of the ground, and Studio knew they need they needed something, and this was the year that Macy's came at Disney and said, hey, how would you like to do a new character balloon? for the parade. And, you know, we, Disney came back and said, well, you know, how do you feel about Santa Goofy? And they're like, okay, we could do that. And, and, but you have to understand that the balloons in the parade are paid for by the corporations that put, you know, that, that own those characters. Sure. And so Disney was like, I tell you what, we'll pay for a Goofy balloon if you allow us to bring it and a couple of other balloons back down to Disney Gym for Christmas. And that that actually happened. Now you to know you know those, those it's, balloons are huge though. I mean, well, yeah, you 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 nailed it. Um they uh, for example, the Santa Goofy balloon 65 feet tall and took 10,800 cubic feet of helium to fill. Um wow. but but they seriously, they they from December 5th of uh, ninety two through January third of ninety three, they had five balloons uh, tethered backstage on New York Street for what was. There's no way you can hide balloons that big. <laughs> well, that, that, seriously, that, that, that you know, if, if you for the notes for the show, if you want to grab this, some great publicity shots of it's uh, Goofy, Betty Boop, Kermit the Frog, uh, Humpty Dumpty, and I'm blanking that the the other balloon that's that was back there, but. Um, but they were there for what was called, uh, Macy's New York Christmas. And they'd held, okay. you know, each night they had a sort of a street lighting ceremony back there and you could get hot chocolate and buy roasted chestnuts. Um, but, but you nailed it. They, they these giant balloons tethered in place, uh, proved to be really, really problematic. Um, you know, that when the wind came up, they drift a bit and bash into buildings and suffer leaks and, yep. Uh, like Likewise, they they were on display for 29 days, fully inflated. So, uh, and and you know the balloons in the parade are, are never, you know, inflated that long. They're no, inflated 40, the night.
0: Forty-eight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, seventy-two mm. hours tops, right?
1: In fact, just quick side note here: if you ever get the chance to go down to New York the night before Thanksgiving, you gotta go up to it's up by the Natural History Museum. They actually the balloons are inflated in place there. And then brought out on the parade route, and so they've got them under these enormous uh cargo nets that are then held down by sandbags, and they f- they fill them probably seven eighths of the way. It's only just before they go out, you know, they step off that the these and these giant tanker trucks full of helium, you know, just give them that last spritz and then send them out the door. Really. So, yeah, though my favorite part of, of the, the Macy's story is, you know, you, you look at the people and they're, you know, they're walking down the parade route and they're they're wearing their, their you know, their, their their coveralls that match the color of the thing, uh, the, the balloon they're carrying. Um, what you don't understand is like 95% of these people are Macy's employees from around the country who have just spent the night on a bus driving into New York. Really. So, yeah, yeah, seriously, I mean, it's just as far away as Maine. They, they, they drive in and they get their first. And only balloon handling training on those side streets as they've just come off the bus. It's like, you know, <laughs> so, so the balloon captain quickly walks them through the... Here, hold know. this. Yeah, no, that's it exactly. So, so that's why when you're watching a Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade on television it looks like the balloons have gotten out of control for some reason or go into a light pole. There's a reason. That's a person who's been you know trying to sleep on a bus for eight hours. So it's like, and, Here's and your balloon.
0: job training, right? Yeah. <laughs> on TV in front of millions of people.
1: There you go. So, wow. oh, So anyway, uh to jump ahead, uh, neither Macy's nor Disney was ultimately happy with the the Macy's New York celebration. I mean, the balloons took a beating and the colors faded in the sun. So um, Macy's uh, New York Christmas was only done for that one year at MGM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would actually be another 9 years before Macy's would would partner with another Orlando area attractions, Universal Studios Florida, to create Macy's Holiday Parade. Um it's worth noting that Universal had learned from Disney's mistakes. They they never brought the full-size character balloons down with well, the balloons that actually parade appear in the, the parade at, at Universal Studios of Florida. Um, they're the smaller size what what um, what Macy's calls their recreation balloons that they they're balloons that uh, recreate memorable characters from the parade from the 30s and the 40s. Okay. Uh, and, you know, that they're, and again, because they didn't do the giant bullwinkle balloons back then, you know, 100 feet long and, you know, so tall, uh, they're a better fit for the scale of the theme park. And, and also, learning from Disney's of Sake, these balloons, once they're, they finish marching around the park, uh, they just, you know, they take them backstage, you know, they're tethered inside of a soundstage, so, you know, no wind can knock them around, and the sun can't fade the colors. So, um, anyway, back to Disney. Um, as an experiment, the Macy's balloon thing on New York Street, uh, and, again, just to just double back here, let's remember that area was never designed for pedestrian traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reg- original plan that you were only going to experience this part of the park, from the tram, you're supposed to, you know, zoom past those facades and take pictures on the fly, and not be able to walk up close to them. But but Disney now knew that okay, a holiday event would fit back there. But what sort of event? Um, anyway, it's now June of '95. The guys at MGM are still racking their brains, you know, trying to come up with their their own candlelight procession. And Bruce Laval, you know, comes into work that morning. Did, did you see last night on CNN? You know, the, the the Arkansas, you know, Superior Court just – or Supreme Court just told this guy in Little Rock he can't put up his Christmas lights display. And, and it was one of these things where, you know, so the guys go and they turn on CNN and they watch footage of Jennings, Brian uh, – Osborne's house. And it's like, oh. <laughs> right? And so, you know, yeah. Bruce – Dear people. Mr. Osborne, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, but the, but the weird thing of it is, is that you know Jennings is getting a lot of mail and a lot of inquiries at at this point. So it's just sort of like he initially gets this call from from uh, from Disney, and he just can't understand what it's about. It's like you want me to come down to Orlando and and decorate a street, and uh, tell you what, put it in writing. And it's like, all right, so the you know. Uh, Bruce goes back to his office, writes up a letter, sends it to Jennings, and then goes on vacation for two weeks. And he comes back in this giant box on his desk that's filled with candy canes and photos, and and it's, it turns out Jennings uh, is this huge Disney fan. And when he figured out that, Look, you want me to come into the parks and decorate, oh, I'm there, I'm there, I've got to do this. You know, you, you have to come to my house. And so you have to come get, to my house. <laughs> well, th- that was when Disney learned how this difficult this was going to be because, you know, Jennings, again, th- this had, you know, this had been going on for a couple of years at this point that, you know, again, th- you never understand that, that, um, over the nine years that, that Jennings had been doing this to entertain his daughter Breezy, this had grown from a thousand red lights to, you know, to, you know millions. Oh, I'm mean, talking seventy foot tall Christmas trees, a hundred angels with flapping wings, um, just for and his daughter. Just for his daughter. But but in order to try to keep the peace in the neighborhood, Jennings, who was independently wealthy had purchased the houses of the two neighbors on either side of him who had been bitching and moaning the most about the lights initially. Sure. And so when Disney shows up, Jennings has basically turned these houses to either side of him, plus putting storage sheds out back into where he kept his lights. And, and so the Disney guys are walking around looking and these are all lights that you could basically go down to Walgreen and buy, but he has millions of them. Wow. And you know, I mean, just fifty to a hundred bulbs to each strand of lights, and it's like, and so they were envisioning doing something with this on residential street, and it's like, well, what are we going to do? It's like I got no clue. Um, but next thing you know, the you know, the, the Mayflower van show up. They fill four full size Mayflower uh, trucking vans with the lights, and zoom them down to uh, the. To Orlando. They get there November 4th. Now you have to understand this event is supposed to open on the 24th. So they're just going 24 7. And at one point, about 10 days out, they called Jennings and say, Can you come down here? Because we can't figure out how some of this stuff works. <laughs> and it's like, Well, no, but I can send down some of my guys who, who help me do it every year. Some of my and, guys. Some of my guys. Some of the local guys who just, you know, and the, they come down and. They get it all set up, um, and it opens, and it's, it's a huge success right out of the gate. Um, and, and more to the point, Disney loves it because Jennings doesn't want any money. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> right? What Jennings wants, because he's such a big Disney fan, is like, look, what I want is you comp me and my family hotel rooms you know, and you know, just comp our stay. We want to come down and enjoy the light. So every year from December twenty fourth through January third, Disney would put Jennings and his family, and it's a pretty big family, just to be fair here, up at the Grand Flow. And you know, they'd come out and turn on the lights and um and and you know, it's it's and, and the weird thing is that of course because this is all Basically, you know, store bought stuff. Disney kept having to replace things because they would, you know, they'd break over the years. So now there's very little of what originally, you know, Jennings bought and created there. But at the same time, they've, and they've also moved it from Residential Street to the New York uh, area starting in 95. Um, So, you know, it just, but at the same time, it's been such, so successful. And, um. Here's the problem, though. Again, it was a it was a ten year deal, and again, Jennings didn't want money, which Disney loved. Um. If but if you can work the math, Len, you know, from, you know, from when this opened in in '95 to you know to now, we're, we're coming up on the ten year renewal. Oh. And you know the the, the family now Jennings passed away in in 2011 and. Um the surviving families members do want to renew the deal, but this time around they, they want a licensing fee. And Really? Yeah. You know, and that's that's gonna be a challenge. Um and well, all right, just to take a step back now, are you aware of the show that ABC this it's a new reality series that began running about uh we're recording this just a couple days before christmas now this this they've been running on abc probably a week two weeks ago um uh, it's called the great christmas light fight no they it's it's worth checking out in fact that is uh, the final episodes are actually airing this evening we're recording on uh, the 23rd of december but what they basically do the concept of the show is they go to four different people around the country have amazing Christmas lights and then they oh you know they they show off their lights and then it's determined who wins. Um <sighs> Disney as part of the show is already soliciting for the two thousand fourteen season. You know, if you have a great Christmas lights you know display contact us. Sure. What you know the belief is within the company is that Disney is now looking for the next Jennings uh, kind of Osborne, uh, you kind of know, looking for that next display with the notion that why pay somebody to oh, license, yeah, 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 when you could take this entire area. I mean, and again, you've got Sylvania on board as your you know, your sponsor, and you just now dedicate it to the great Christmas light fight.
0: Oh, yeah, you and, just have, you just have like you know, four families come in and just, uh, oh, and then you get variety. There you it, go, and they would do, oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So so keep an eye on that. You know, the, So they would do that,
0: it they do it in the same uh uh Streets of America
1: area? That's that's the belief. Um you know that again, this is you know you know, right now this is just an idea that's bubbling up within the company that though you know, it, it it's it's hard not to connect the dots understanding that the negotiation is going on with the Osborne family. Um but yeah, it it, it, it Again, if you've got time tonight, turn it on. Or, folks, go to YouTube and check it out because this redefines over the top. Some of these displays are just amazing. And you could see how just for the publicity and, you know, just for the, you know, again, the free synergistic television coverage, you know, come on down to Florida and decorate our New York Street. You know, you you could see them jumping on this idea. Um, Wow, that's awesome. But, again, you know, and I know it'll upset some people that the, the Osborne lights are, you know, are going away. But, look, things change, Len. The only thing you can count on in life is change. And, you know, for example, when when uh, the 100 Years of Magic promotion kicked in in, uh, you know, October of 2001 uh, with that, you know, and <laughs> with that 120-foot-tall Sorcerer Mickey hat in front mm-hmm. of the Chinese Theater, that meant that the studio had to find a different place to put its Christmas tree. And... Um which interestingly enough, they borrowed a page from what they do at Animal Kingdom, which is that the Christmas tree is now located outside of the theme park uh by the entrance of the park and now you know at the at the um the animal kingdom that's deliberately done for much the same reason that you know remember how you couldn't get a straw you know for the longest time in that theme park? yeah, because you know yeah this this is all about protecting the animals they don't want you know a a colorful light display or or you know a, you know elaborate decoration you know something that, that was eye catching in the park that the animals would then you know Swap the birds and eat. Yeah. eat and die, and you know there's just <laughs> two turtle doves laying there in the ground dead next to the the, the, the three French ends It's like we shouldn't have put this here <laughs> um, so um. But, you know, again, that's one of the reasons why, you know, the holidays in that park aren't quite as celebrated, uh, as, as loudly or as crazily as, as the other parks. That, that, you know, for example, why their holiday parade, you know, the, 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 the jingle jungle is actually just an overlay, you know, of the parade that was launched, uh, in 2001, again, for 100 years of magic, the, the, the Mickey's jamming jungle. And even then, it took them three years before they felt they had done enough research on, you know, animal-safe materials before they felt, you know, confident about putting that out in the parks. Um,
0: and that's a relatively little scale. I mean, a uh, 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 small-scale thing, right? I mean, that's not. Oh
1: no, absolutely. But but again, it, that's that's always been the problem with that park. It was always built. It was that you know, Roadie deliberately built it so it couldn't have a parade. <laughs> and and still, yeah. You know, it, well, you know, <laughs> like, get me a Pargo. I'm going to drive it through here. Um, but at the same time, I, I, look, you know, Disney fans already knew about, you know, the the change out of the you know that that Jam and Jungle was going to change, you know, to Jingle Jungle sure. in 2004, because of course. In you know, on Christmas Day, two thousand three, they had been sitting at home in front of their televisions, watching the Walt Disney World Very Merry Christmas Parade. You know, which um actually started out life as a, a syndicated television special uh with Joan London and Mike Douglas as the host. Um, Joan
0: London and Mike Douglas.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 interesting thing. Lent this year is actually the the thirtieth anniversary of of what many outsiders have called you know you know, basically a two hour long commercial for everything the Walt Disney company oh, is yeah, doing. Totally, yeah, in, that, right? in the coming years. But uh it turns out it wasn't their first real attempt at a Christmas special. Now I know we've talked previously in the earlier editions about uh, you know, the the episodes of the Disney uh you know the the, the Wonderful World of Color and Wonderful World of Disney that that actually did you know, mention the holidays in the park, but the first standalone holiday special was actually, uh, it was called Christmas at Disneyland. It, it aired in December of 76. And what's really kind of cool about this was that they, they wanted to do ice skating at Disneyland. Sure. Why not? So- so, what they did is they took these two foot square tiles of plastic okay. and laid them down and, and on main street u s a from uh, the market house all the way up to town square okay. and then they sprayed them with silicone to make them suitable for skating and um and and then laid out you know they they, they sprayed the buildings with the same foam you use for you know what a plane is about to crack <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, so it's, it's, but then, it so now festive. it's festive. <laughs> but now, you know, so, and it's, it's, here's Mickey Mouse skating on, on, you know, these sheets of plastic. And, yeah. um, and what was really kind of cool about it is that the guy who was dressed in the Mickey Mouse costume, who was skating, that was actually Paul Castle. This was the, he had actually started his career in the ice capades. He was, and, and in fact, if you've ever seen that, that awful footage, or those awful costumes—the opening day of Disneyland, the ones they borrowed from the ice capades. Yeah, yeah. You know that those are the ones that Paul used to skate in.
0: Those are the ones with the—they're—they're so—they're really top heavy, and they've got the essentially uh, uh, lycra legs, like mm-hmm. stick stick for your, stick people. Oh legs. yeah,
1: yeah. But but this is the thing, Paul. But Paul was 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 one of these guys who was uh, you know an athlete who was but perfectly proportioned. He was just four feet uh, feet tall and. When Walt saw him, you know, and when they put him in the Mickey Mouse costume, it's like that's the guy. And Walt actually hired him away from uh, into the Ice Capade, so he really? would be, be Disneyland's Mickey Mouse. And he was—that's what they referred to him. He was the main mouse. If you, if you, whenever you see a picture of Walt with Mickey, that's Paul in the outfit because it, the Paul was short enough to, you know, that that was the height that, that Walt believed the character should be. Um, <laughs> but I, to bring this kind of full circle here that, that, that because of Paul's height, he often got asked to do some very strange things. And one of them was in, this was about a year or two after they'd opened, um, the, uh, the Matterhorn and Disneyland decided they're going to do their first ever really big, uh, New Year's Eve party and somebody and again and now I want to be careful here to credit this this story to Tim Oday the, the a good friend and a, a great publicist for the Disney company on and and he actually he has I mean he's shown footage of this Len, this is – I swear to god this actually happened all right because the idea was that in much in the way that the fireworks for Disneyland starts off with Tinkerbell sliding down that wire from the Matterhorn mm-hmm what they decided to do for New Year's Eve was they were gonna throw Baby New Year off of the Sure.
0: Matter. What could possibly go wrong with this idea?
1: Okay, and they tell Paul, all right, you know, so uh get it now you have to listen to the Paul. Paul's
0: like, that's an interesting idea. Who are you gonna get for baby New Year? <laughs> Long pause. <laughs> Aw, awkward pause.
1: Now you have to understand. Paul was in his previous life before he began skating was a sailor and and swore like a sailor. Oh. So, um, all right. So the date, you know, it's like like look, we're gonna give you a lot of money to do this, and and see some, you know, so initially he says yes. So now it's New Year's Eve. I want to say sixty two. Uh, and, you know, he climbs up the steps to the top of the Matterhorn, and, you know, he's dressed as a baby New Year. He's Here's this. This. this is 62, okay? They uh, had just just started doing Tinkerbell. So Walt's
0: the, still alive. Walt's still alive, uh, all right? All right, okay. All right,
1: so, you know, and, and again, it. it, it um, I think they actually showed this footage at a D twenty three animation event at one point. But basically, you know, picture you know nineteen sixty three and it's it's at night and it's dark, but people are festive and they've got you know a, you know a trumpeters on top of the uh, you know the castle getting ready for the moment. Meanwhile, the top of the, the Matterhorn, Paul has actually now looked out over the edge of the the edge of the wire. He's supposed oh, this, to be. This thinking. is
0: the this is the test.
1: And it's like, no, this is the actual knight, you know. He isn't. Yeah, done that's the thing.
0: This is again on-the-job training. <laughs>
1: yeah. And he's like, "No, I'm not doing this." You know. I think,
0: gentlemen, it is time to renegotiate my contract.
1: And they physically pick and well, This is it up. They physically pick him up and at the you know the three, two, one, and they throw him off of the mountain. All right. And <laughs> oh, so, yes, you are. <laughs> So there's this great film footage of you know the spotlight hits Baby New Year and his arms are flailing, and <laughs> but not in a happy, joyful way. Like and like a, of, like
0: I'm falling! Oh God! Oh God!
1: Yeah. And not only that, but you know you can just make out enough. Of, you don't really have to be a lip reader to get the sense of of what Paul is saying as he
0: slides down the mountain, expressing his surprise and displeasure with the situation. <laughs> There you go.
1: So, so looking at it this way, folks, the, the matter of how 2013 has been for you, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, or what you've got planned for New Year's Eve this year, it's got to go better than what happened to poor Paul Castle back in 1962. Um, yeah. The, the, <laughs> but, you know, as far as New Year's go at the Disney theme parks, that, that for me is the most memorable. The, the swearing baby New Year's sliding into, you know, <laughs> over the castle into the, 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 the mattress that they're holding up just off stage in, um you know, Fantasyland. Is there but a video of this? There's actual uh, the, the, this footage. I don't know if they allowed people at the D23 Expo, but tell you what. I'll, I will get a hold of Tim O'Day for you Len and at the very least we will get it to you so you you can you have the joy the, the pleasure the wonder of watching this <laughs> swearing baby new year fly across the sky
0: he doesn't have like PS, PTSD or anything but yeah if you have it we will uh, I'll post a, I'll post links to it on the show notes I'll see what I can do.
1: Awesome. But anyway, that, it, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, folks. I know we haven't touched on everything. We haven't, you know, for example, gotten into Winter Summerland over at the, uh, next to Blizzard Beach. But, you know, that's, and, and as just Len and I were talking about with, you know, Osborne Lights potentially giving way to the Great Christmas Light Fight. This is, Disney is very dynamic when it comes in regards to the holidays. There's a lot of history, and, and there's a lot of history yet to come. So, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll circle around to this story yet again, and and then talk about all the stuff we forgot to talk about this time. So
0: that's great, great episode, Jim. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do over the next uh, year or so. And like I said, if you have that uh, video, let me know.
1: I will. I will, will do my damnedest, Len. All right, all right, folks.
0: Thanks for, very much for listening. Hope you enjoy the rest of your holidays. For Jim, this is Len. You've been listening to the unofficial Guide to Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. Please rate us on iTunes. Let us know what uh, other episodes you'd like to hear us tackle next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.